0: When you're a patient in intensive care, you need sedating, don't you? Constantly, heavily, don't you? No! Let's find out why we keep doing it. Hello and welcome back to the Critical Care Practitioner podcast. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Jonathan Downham. Um, I have been producing podcasts now. We're well into episode 120-something, I think this will be. Um, Just before this one started, I just wanted to have a quick chat with you about some of the other resources that I produce as well. So if you go to criticalcarepractitioner.co.uk UK. You'll be able to see the podcasts I produce there as well. Um, You'll also be able to see the videos that I've started to make on YouTube and there's also a teaching resource that I've started with a company called teachable.com. I've already produced three different modules with them, uh, one of which is three, free, the others are reasonably priced I believe so go and have a look, they're all from the website criticalcarepractitioner.co.uk the other quick plea as well uh, is if you do li- listen to my podcast and you do feel you're able to support me in any way, you can go to patreon.com and look for Critical Care Practitioner on there and that's just another way of supporting me uh, you don't have to pay much um, it, everything helps, there are hosting costs that I have to pay, um, there are Uh, as my website becomes more popular that becomes more expensive as well so there you go quick play i'm not going to say any more let's crack on and listen to this episode hello 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 and welcome back to the critical care practitioner podcast I'm very fortunate, again, to be joined by um, somebody who caught my eye through the American Association of Critical Care Nurses contacts that I seem to have developed since I went to the NTI last year. Christy very kindly uh, waved this piece of research under my nose via the internet. Um, So I'm joined by Jill Guttunsen. Is that a correct pronunciation?
1: That is very good, yes. Okay,
0: so Jill, perhaps if you just tell my audience who you are, uh, what you do and where you work.
1: Yes. um, I am a nurse researcher. I'm on faculty at Marquette University, which is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I have been a critical care nurse for numerous years and then um, in the last eight years moved into working as uh, educator and researcher at the University College of Nursing.
0: Okay, excellent. So um, let me just talk about the article that caught my eye or that was uh, uh, shown to me. So this is it's titled Nurses' Attitudes and Practices Related to Sedation, a national survey. Now, I um, let's play devil's advocate a little bit here. We do sedation perfectly well, don't we? What's the issue?
1: The issue is that for since 2002, sedation guidelines came out asking us to have our patients more awake and alert and interactive while they're on the ventilator. And we haven't gotten there yet. A lot of the research shows that patients are still quite sedated while on the ventilator. And the concern with that is it points to an increased risk. As we continue to sedate our patients, we're increasing their risk of developing delirium. We're increasing their immobility, so we're increasing the risk of ICU-required weakness both of which are problems that contribute to long-term challenges for our patients when they leave the ICU and post-intensive care syndrome.
0: Sure. And and I think one of the things that I'm very aware of the unit I work in that we use the uh, Richmond agitation sedation scale. So the RAS score. Um, now, ideally, I always say to the nurses that really we're looking for a score of between zero and minus two, but I often perhaps often is the wrong word, but I do regularly come across patients who've got a sedation score of minus four, um, which always yeah. gets my hackles up ever so slightly because I want to say, well, why is it a minus four? Why does it need to be a minus four? There are circumstances when a minus four is appropriate. So if your patient is paralyzed, then the minus four is perfectly appropriate. But those situations are not that regular. And nurses often find it hard to justify to me why it should be a minus four. Is is that something that you experience over in the US as well, do you think?
1: I do. And I think across settings, across settings in the United States, Canada, and Europe, we've consistently shown that we're not meeting our goals for sedation. We're not keeping our patients awake. And I think One of the telling things in this article for me was that 66% of the respondents felt sedation was necessary for patient comfort. Mm. And indeed, when we ask patients, the research that asks patients what it was like to be on the ventilator, they talk about anxiety, they talk about feeling they have no control, dyspnea, fear, and all of those things lead to agitation. what we do currently in the ICU for agitation is we give sedation. Yep. And so we're not getting to, we're measuring with all of those sedation agitation scales, we're measuring a sign and not a symptom. Yeah. We're not getting to why the patient is in distress.
0: Okay. So before we get ahead of ourselves a little bit here, just tell me a bit yes. more about the study. So, um, The, the, the driver behind it is obviously the 2005 survey, which showed that nurses, uh, showed um, some issues with nurses attitudes towards sedation. Right. Um, Right. And so what did you do to try and assess um, their current thinking on sedation? What, what process did you go through?
1: So we went through the American association of critical care nurses and we invited all members um, to respond. The survey we used is a nurse sedation practices survey, and it looks at attitudes nurses have about the benefits of sedation, whether nurses feel they have control over their own sedation and how they sedate patients, impact of communication with other nurses, patients' families, and the medical team. And then finally, it measures, what do nurses consider over or under sedation? And do they intend to sedate all of their patients or not? So it's really looking at things that might contribute to how they manage sedation and then trying to actually get some sense of how they manage the sedation.
0: Okay. And you promoted this through the AACNE newsletter Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how many respondents did you get?
1: Not as many as we would have liked. Okay. We got about 177 respondents.
0: Okay. So how long did it run for?
1: It ran for four weeks in their newsletter. And concurrently, there were multiple other surveys. And so I think there was some response burden in that group of nurses. One thing we did look at, though, is the characteristics of our sample very closely aligns with the characteristics of the overall AACN group so that we have similar numbers of bachelor prepared nurses, similar number of staff nurses. And so we feel we have... To the best of our capability we feel we have a representative sample
0: so as far as the demographics are concerned it was a representative sample of the population that you were trying to get the measure exactly. of. okay awesome. yeah um so um talk to me about the nurse sedation practices scale because i had a quick look for this unfortunately i couldn't it seems to be buried within various documents so i couldn't necessarily find it's a 28 <laughs> I- item uh scoring system isn't it and, and from what i've written in what i've read in the article you've got five subscales with attitudes towards sedation, subjective norm, sedation orders and goals, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. is, is this a tool that's been used um, in the past for assessing something like this? Was that used in 2005 as well?
1: We use the same tool. And I think it's best to call it a survey. The scales, the psychometrics on the scales aren't as robust as we would hope. And so we use it really more as a survey than an instrument with the the subscales. The only scale that really has pretty robust statistics around it and validity is the attitudes and sedation practices. So really it's a way using the theory plan behavior to look at all the possible factors that might impact the behavior of nurses around sedation.
0: Okay, table two is the one that caught my eye probably first and foremost because table two is uh, basically a summary of this survey item responses, isn't it? And it's broken down into the, categories so we've got attitudes subjective norms sedation orders and goals perceived behavioral control and sedation practices and then the intention to sedate all mechanically ventilated patients now if i start with that one the very bottom one so the intention to sedate all mechanically ventilated patients um just clarify that question for me does that mean that um are you asking them if they agree that all mechanically ventilated patients should be sedated regardless is that is that what you're asking there
1: the wording is exactly, it's very close to what's in the table. It asks nurses, Do you? I, this the tag is, I intend to sedate all mechanically ventilated patients, and then they agree or disagree with that statement.
0: Okay, um, and there's a more of a bias towards um disagreeing or strongly disagreeing, there isn't is, there? So, there a, is, a when big, that
1: is encouraging,
0: yeah, very much so. What was that like in
1: 2005? Um, the numbers, there were more people agreeing that they intended to sedate, it wasn't a huge change. That wasn't where we saw the biggest movement okay. between the scales.
0: Okay. But we it's, saw it's
1: more change in how much nurses agree about what constitutes over and under sedation.
0: Okay. Um, and and that's that's the, the the section just above. But but firstly it's encouraging that um you've got nearly fifty percent of the nurses um who are um, disagreeing with the need to sedate all mechanically ventilated patients. So they're disagreeing or they're strongly disagreeing. You've got 21% in neutral and there's only 30% who are agreeing really that right. um, every mechanical mechanically ventilated patient needs sedating. So the, right. the, the, the views of sedation practices is interesting as well, isn't it? Because um, w- w- was there anything in there that struck you particularly, would you say?
1: There was movement around sedation and moving away from thinking um, that patients are under sedated if there's ventilator dyssynchrony. However, 72% of nurses still responded that that was a sedation issue. I feel ventilator dyssynchrony is more often a ventilator problem
0: yes. than an yes.
1: agitation problem. And so I think there's room for improvement there.
0: And and one one of the things there for me, Jill, is that um I <clears throat> and and I don't know whether this is the same in the States as it is over here in the UK, but I think one of the problems there is that nurses don't necessarily understand what ventilator desynchrony is and the signs of it on your ventilator to indicate what you could possibly do about it other than just to resedate your patient. Is it, because Correct. over there you have the respiratory therapists, don't you? We don't have we them do. in the UK. It's the nurses who are expected to understand the ventilators. And I, I think I'm sticking my neck out a little bit here, but I think there's a large proportion of the intensive care nursing population over here who don't necessarily understand what a ventilator is telling them and what they can do to change that. Therefore, desynchrony is seen as something that's sedation related. Do you think that's true in the States as well?
1: I do. And I think particularly in the states with the separation that the respiratory therapists control the ventilator. And I think nurses learn about ventilators on the job as opposed to having, at least in the states, as opposed to having really specific training on how settings can be changed and modes can be changed to help the patient be more comfortable.
0: Yeah, and I think it's exactly the same in the UK. I I asked this question via Twitter only a few weeks ago, and uh, I would say probably 60 to 70% of the respondents were saying that they were just learning on the hoof, really, that not many of them attended any formal training, and that was a hard thing to define anyway. But um, the other thing as well is that there was a large proportion of uh, nurses who were agreeing that a patient was under sedated if they were reaching for endotracheal tubes or catheters. Now, I've got a bit of a problem with that as well, to be honest with you. Um, Certainly in the UK, and I know that it might be slightly different in the US, but in the UK, if you've got a patient who's got an endotracheal tube in, it is one-to-one nursing. So you have one nurse to one patient. Um, And for me, there should be an element of the nurse being able to cope if the patient is just reaching for the ET tube. If they're constantly pulling on that ET tube, um, then that might be a slightly different matter. But if, if the the hand is just going up to the ET tube and with just a bit of gentle discouragement, that hand will then move away from the ET tube. For me, that's somebody who isn't under sedated. I don't know what your views on that are.
1: I would agree with you. And in fact, some of the data around restraints and sedation would lend me to believe that in fact are sedated and, um, Restrained patients are probably more likely to wake up and pull their tube out than a patient that's a little more alert and we can have a conversation and help them understand what's happening. Hmm. And so in the States, we are not typically one-to-one with vented patients. Most hospitals have a one-to-two, so two patients on the ventilator for every one nurse. Mm -hmm. And that adds some unique challenges, um, for our ability to be in the room with that constant reassurance.
0: Sure. And, yeah. you know, that the nurse's back is more likely to be turned, isn't it, in that kind of circumstance? And, and obviously that does raise issues itself. Um, what do you think is um, the impact of um, the... Um, sedation, uh, things like um, ICU liberation, for example. So you've got um, Dale Needham's um, fabulous work on um, the um, the ABCDEF um, pathways yeah. that he uses to try and get us to reduce the incidence of delirium. Do you think that kind of work is starting to make an impact amongst the nursing population? Do you think some of the data you've got from this study is, is demonstrative of that? Or do you think that we still have some way to go?
1: So I don't know that this study specifically speaks to sedation, liberation and mobility. Mm. However, one of the major barriers you see when you're reading how many people are mobilized in the ICU, sedation and delirium are the two top barriers. Yep. And so it becomes this kind of vicious cycle that if we don't minimize sedation, we contribute to delirium and there's decreased mobility. And so it all comes back often for me, from my perspective, that you have to manage and get patients more alert before you can do some of these really fabulous interventions. And Dale Needham has had fabulous success with the work that he's done, but that hasn't translated across units um, and different organizations and different hospital settings, as well as we would hope.
0: Yeah. Why, why do you think?
1: I think it takes quite a bit of resources and commitment, and practice change is really challenging. Mm. I also th- believe that maybe we aren't asking our patients the right questions. We're not helping support nurses in the challenge of having a wake patient that is non-vocal, that can't communicate, an assessment of what really their agitation is leading from is really challenging with that group, and I think maybe we haven't thought about what resources nurses need to manage patients that are awake and alert on the ventilator.
0: Yeah, absolutely. um So, from the research, do you, what 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 for you um, is the biggest factor that is um, ensuring that our patients are perhaps being sedated, not necessarily over-sedated, but sedated for too prolonged a time maybe? What, what is it that nurses are particularly worried about from the the, the, the piece of research that you've done?
1: Attitudes toward the behaviour was strongly... So attitudes towards sedation being beneficial was strongly associated with sedation practices, so giving more sedation. Um, And intention to sedate. And one of the major things that jumps out there is that over 70% of nurses, um, 60 to 70% of nurses would want sedation if they were on the ventilator, see mechanical ventilation is very uncomfortable, Mm. and think sedation is necessary for patient comfort. Um, I have a colleague that says that if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. (laughs) And so we focus a lot on assessing pain and we assess agitation. And our two tools we have are really strong narcotics and really powerful sedative medications. I don't think we have a good enough toolbox that's available to nurses to manage symptoms in our patients.
0: Okay. Um, because there, there is a school of thought out there, isn't there as well, that um, maybe we shouldn't be using sedation first, we should be using analgesic first. Now, right. my experience in the UK, I have never seen that happen. Uh, I have never seen a patient come out of um, or come into an ITU who is ventilated and we have you know, not use sedation, but we have used sufficient amounts of analgesic and the patient has been comfortable. I'm not saying I've never seen it happen unsuccessfully. I've just never seen it happen full stop. I don't know whether this is something that happens regularly in the US.
1: And I don't have good data on that. I only have anecdotal data. data. I know we do manage patients like that. I think that's the minority of patients. Yeah. And I think that tends to be patients that have been on the ventilator longer when we're trying really hard to wean things down. Okay, but pain medication only gets to if the person is in pain. It might not help anxiety. It might not help dyspnea. It might not help fear. And I think of a patient. I a, another study. I interviewed patients after ICU, hmm. and there was a gentleman who had pretty severe chronic back pain, and so he was very agitated when he was in the ICU, and all he needed was to lay in a very specific position and his back yep. would have gone away. He could never communicate that to the nurses. He could never quite get to that higher level communication to make that message clear.
0: So presumably he was just viewed as being agitated and right. perhaps the sedation was used to minimize that agitation.
1: Right. Yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, just to go to table three now, because that's an interesting one as well. Um, and if you could just break that down a little bit for me. Um, table three is summary of the associations between individual and workplace characteristics and attitude, subscale, sedation practices, subscale and intention to sedate. Now, if I'm reading this right, um, the years of nursing experience make a difference to how you practice and the years of ICU experience Make a difference to how you practice. Is that? Am I reading that correctly?
1: You are reading that correctly. Um, and the other factor that played a role was we have CCRN certification, which is a critical care specialty certification. Yeah. And that also, nurses with CCRN certification were less positive about the benefits of sedation, um, and were less likely from the subscales to say that they wanted to sedate all patients. So they were more tolerant of of the indications that they would give less sedation. Um, The years of nursing experience was interesting because it wasn't a a straight line. Um, Some nurses in the younger group had less tendency to want to sedate, and that might be the way that they're educated as they come through orientation. There's more Mm -hmm. talk about the complications of sedation. And then nurses that were very experienced also were more tolerant of an awake and alert patient from the way they responded to the sedation questions.
0: So it's interesting, isn't it? Because if I'm reading this correctly, so you, if you are a nurse with lots of experience and lots of ITU experience with a CCRN certification, you're more likely to be tolerant of um, less sedation. And conversely, if you're a, a young, inexperienced nurse, also, inexperienced in ICU without the CCRN certification, you're less likely to be tolerant of reduced amounts of sedation. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm glad I got that the right way yes. around.
1: Yes. 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 So certification is proving to be a way that nurses probably learn more about the the problems with sedation, and are they're more informed, so they change their practice. That would which be is important.
0: The- I mean, that's encouraging, isn't it? Because, it is. you know, if we're putting these people through this certification and actually we're not teaching them anything useful, then it all right. seems a bit pointless, really, doesn't it? So that's very encouraging. And um, I don't
1: think it's surprising that the longer you've been a nurse, the more comfortable you are with a no.
0: No, absolutely. Because a lot of what you do then becomes second nature, doesn't it? And you're not necessarily second guessing yourself constantly because you've done this many, many times before. And actually experience counts for a lot when you're waking a patient up or you're trying to manage their agitation. Um, You tend to be more aware of the warning signs of impending doom, if you like, um, because you've seen them so many more times and uh, you're a bit more familiar with the workload as well. So hopefully um, you can cope with it a little bit more. For you from this piece of research, what what would you want to do to move forward and continue to hopefully um, help educate nurses as to the merits or not of sedating our patients?
1: I don't think it's a knowledge problem. I think if you ask nurses, does sedation contribute to negative outcomes? I believe they would say yes. We didn't ask yep. that. But that's that's from the work that I do with critical care nurses. That's my assessment. I think we need to support better symptom assessment. Currently, we tend to focus solely on pain and agitation, and we don't ask about a lot of the other symptoms patients tell us they're having. And we need to start integrating more non-pharmacological measures into the ICU so that we have other options for managing symptoms other than... I.V. pain medications and I.V. sedation. So, for instance, there's been some good work around music for decreasing anxiety of patients. There's some beginning work that family involvement and family presence can be really helpful for managing um, anxiety in those patients. And I think that's something interesting to explore.
0: Yeah, it's it's um, it's it's like it's very true, like you say, it's binary, isn't it? We either give them the sedation or we give them analgesic, yeah. and we don't seem to give them a, a great deal else, really. Yeah. Um, a, again, though, this is a process that's going to be difficult to to get us to move forward with, isn't it? Because you know, I've been in intensive care now for thirty years. And whilst we have talked about things like music right. therapy and presence of family, although I think, if, I think, to be honest with you, we have moved forward with the family presence a little bit more. I um, think we
1: have. I think family engagement is a really powerful um, movement right now. I agree. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and I am a strong believer that that should be the case. Um, I think the only the only issue I sometimes have is if the family are there and not allowing the patient to rest. But you know that's something that can be done with education as well. So that's not necessarily something that's insurmountable. Um, right. But I do think I, I know, for example, if I was in intensive if I was in intensive care and somebody said your wife can only come and visit you two hours of the day that's certainly going to have an impact on my recovery because, you know, obviously I spend many more hours with her than that. And during uh, a period of uh, critical illness, her support is possibly one of the most important things to me uh, and taking away that support more than likely to have a detrimental effect to my, my ongoing recovery. Um, can you just quickly explain to me, because I don't know what this is, and I'm sure your American, the American audience will, what is a beacon unit?
1: Oh, it's a designation of excellence in critical care.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. And that made, that had no significant difference in the associations between the need or not for sedation, um, looking at your uh, table three, is that it right?
1: It didn't directly, no. And I think that gets to our challenge. How do you measure outcomes and what measures do you use when you're assessing outcomes for your patient? And I'm not sure we're always assessing the right things.
0: Okay. So it seems that um, the situation has improved slightly since your last study. Would you say that? That is encouraging. Yes. That's good. It seems that um, years of nursing experience and ICU experience are valuable the fact that we can get people to go through a certification program seems to make a difference. Um, And it would seem that maybe the things from your, from certainly from what you think is that um, we need to focus more on the symptom management rather than just looking for the signs. Is that right? Yes. And I would
1: add, we need to support patients. If a patient is going to be alert and awake while on the ventilator, we need to support their ability to be able to communicate complex ideas or complex problems. So we need to move beyond the yes and no response system that we sometimes rely on.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, And often when they're ventilated, with a tube in obviously something even like lip readings an impossibility exactly. so we need to look at more devices to make that communication and if they're going to be relatively tube tolerant we need to support that really don't we because there's many people that aren't tube tolerant but those that are tube tolerant we perhaps need to give more support so that they can communicate their needs better and make their progress and move forward more smoothly without us having to press the button on the 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 big white drug that we give them <laughs> and <turn> them back <laughs> off the
1: absolutely
0: yeah Okay, so um, I think um, it would be nice if things like music therapy and massage and all these things that have been advocated were to start to come in. But I think for now, probably one of the things that we are doing well is that we are starting to get nurses to understand that actually sedation um, can potentially be harmful. Isn't always appropriate in the right circumstances, and we should think twice before we do it. Uh, and it looks like that's something that we're making progress on.
1: We absolutely are making progress. Yes.
0: Excellent. Well, I'm hoping we can't ask for too much more. If we just keep need to make keep need to keep making progress. And for me, it's my nurses need to understand that a sedation score of minus four on a patient who has got no need for that level of sedation is not appropriate. Um, but I know one of their biggest concerns. And one of the ones that I often struggle to answer, other than being able to say, well, research has shown, one of their biggest concerns is that patients are going to get distressed and feel uncomfortable, and it's just going to give them all kinds of bad memories. But um, that's a whole other conversation, I think. That is, is another
1: long conversation. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And there is research out there that's been done that um, can demonstrate that that's not always necessarily the case.
1: That is true. The, um the patients that we think are very sedated still have memories. We just don't know about them because we don't see outward signs that they're interacting with the environment.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jill. That's really interesting. It's a it's a very interesting study. It's it's a thing that's quite close to my heart because like I say, some a lot of our patients are too heavily sedated. Some are, you could almost say that they've been anesthetized um, and we don't want that to happen for them. So that's... Uh, interesting and encouraging that we are starting to make progress as well Um, and we've got still got work to do but we're moving in the right direction thanks for chatting to me jill that's absolutely fabulous Um, i'll be keeping an eye out for you in the future if you do anything else i'll be coming and knocking on your door again and hopefully we can have another chat about it
1: wonderful i appreciate the time
0: thank you very much and we'll speak again soon okay bye you've been listening to critical care practitioner if you would like to comment on any of today's topics Find us at criticalcarepractitioner.co.uk, tweet us at ccpractitioner, find us at facebook.com criticalcarepractitioner, or search Critical Care Practitioner on iTunes.